Welcome to today's message from First Baptist Church in Divine, Texas, where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. You can find today's message and more information at www.fbcdivine.org. Now, let's listen to the latest teaching from First Baptist Church, Divine. Some years ago, two pastors gathered together to, for a training event that would help churches launch missionary work in Eastern Europe and parts of Central Asia. Both pastors woke up early in the morning, and as it was their personal custom, they got ready to pray and study the Bible before their long day began. These two pastors were similar in calling, but very different in their backgrounds. The American pastor who hosted the Eastern European pastor was a United States Marine Corps member. He was an officer, a captain. And the other pastor who came from Eastern Europe had served for the Soviet army before the fall of the Iron Curtain. The American pastor studied in his bedroom, reading his no in his nook, that he and his wife had set aside for their personal use when guests would come to stay at their home. The pastor from the Soviet Republic got himself ready for the day and made his way into the host's study. And that morning did not go as he had planned. You see, he came to understand that his host was a United States Marine, an officer. And upon the mantle that was in their study at the time, he noticed with great pride the different plaques, ribbons, and pictures of a number of fixed-wing aircraft from the time of the American pastor serving in the United States Marine Corps, and that shook the pastor to the core who was visiting from the former Soviet Republic. The pastor, being taken aback for a few moments, gathered his thoughts and then submitted himself to prayer and to read the scriptures as he had planned that morning. He opened his Bible to Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and began to read and pray. Today we are learning and concluding a series that says that we are to be renewed according to the teaching of the Apostle Paul in Romans 12. And the last frontier, to quote from William Shatner, one of those American actors that we all love and care for, the last frontier of renewal in our lives as we are exposed to the gospel, as we see how God works in our lives, is with our enemies. This is the last frontier where we see the grandiose work of the gospel at work in our lives. And we come to understand this particular truth. The gospel transforms completely. Paul is giving us in, in Romans a wonderful theological rich letter that lays out the Christian faith from eternity past to eternity future, reminding us that there's no one righteous, reminding us of what God has done for us, how he himself has borne our iniquities to make us new creations, to give us a new hope. And as we are renewed in our relationship with God, ourselves, and others, we see that the gospel's power to renew the way we relate with our enemies is very much a real possibility. It's not an impossibility. It is something that only God can do through the power of the gospel. And so, we must understand that God's perfect love reforms us Love the unlovable, even our enemies. Even those that you and I would consider to be the scum of the earth in our sinful flesh. But don't take it from me, because I am one of those sinful people of whom I'm speaking. Now, if you would, 
turning your Bibles to chapter 12, beginning with verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, it will be overhead. This is the word of God for his people today. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live, at, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of God for his people today. Paul is leading the audience to a similar place that Jesus led his church early on, his, his disciples, in giving them the Great Commission. We are called to preach the gospel to every corner of the world, so we are to treat every person under the auspices of the, the newness of life that we possess, even those that are not Christian and those who would oppose us, for the sake of Christ. I wonder, is that a reality in your life? I wonder, is that reflected in your practices as a Christian? Young man, young woman, lady, man, older man, a lady, the lady of the house and the matriarch of a family. Is this reflected in who you are? Chances are, if we are honest with ourselves, if we are truly, truly reflective of our humanity, because we are still tempted by Satan, we are still tempted by the world and our flesh. Each person here continues to struggle with, how can I love someone who hates me? How can I love someone who's done something unspeakable to me? And how can I show them the love of Christ when all I want to do is give them tit for tat? To give them back ten times what they offer to me. Well, because I don't, want it, I don't want you to take it from me. I want you to take it from the word of God. Verse 17 tells us two dis distinct verbs. And that is this. Repay no one and be honorable. Repay no one what they do to you in kind and be honorable. Think of those things that are good before all men. If you do that, you will see that every relationship that we have is like a series of actions and responses that influence the way that we relate to one another. The more goodwill that we give to others, the more goodwill that we receive from others in receiving our goodwill. There's one problem with that particular issue is that we can get lost in this similitude into something of a transactional notion. In other words, I give Scott something, Scott's going to give me something like or a little bit better in return. At least that's the hope in a transaction. And so we can get caught in that. But the problem is that if we are going to give into our basic nature, which, by the way, Paul is compelling us not to give into, because, you know, we have been revived. Again, if at this point in the letter, we need to understand that Paul has already explained everything that has to do with how do we know in our minds and our hearts that Christ is who he says he is? Namely, the Savior, the Son of God, the one and only hope for all humanity. And now he says, therefore, if you remember when it opened chapter 12, we are to be different from the world because you and I are no longer of the world, but we live in the world. And so Paul compels us to resist the urge of our basic nature because we are being sanctified. 
Now, so that you understand what that is, because I don't want you to live here with more questions than answers. Some questions would be good, but those are for later. Sanctification means that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart to remove the old man, the old woman, and to put in that place that which is Christ Jesus. If you remember Galatians 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that God is putting into each one of us. While He takes away envy and strife and jealousy and all the things that represent not only Satan at work in our lives, but also the temptation of our flesh. And so we are being sanctified. And this process is what Paul is compelling us to follow after. That's why, if you recall, when Pastor Dan started the series, he said, by the renewing of your minds, it's a daily task. It's something that happens actively. It's not passively. We don't want you to be Christians who come to church and simply say, Pastor, teach us the Bible. We want you to be Christians who come to church because you're celebrating what God has been, has been doing from Monday through Saturday evening in your heart through the power of His Holy Word. We want you to be transformed, not by the power of Pastor Dan's preaching, certainly not my own, or by Pastor Johnny or anyone else, none of the deacons or their wives, but transformed by the grace, the mercy, the love, and the long-suffering of a God who instead of, of smiting us all, which we rightly deserve, gives us a second chance to have eternal life. That is the beauty of this. Paul reminds us, because we are not to give in light, but we are to be honorable. He reminds us of Leviticus 19. It's overhead. Look, look what it says. You shall not take revenge or bear a grudge against your, the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor, your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. By the way, notice that it's finishing because I'm love or because I'm mercy. I am the Lord. We do these things because God has commanded us to do that. Does this remind you of somewhere else in the Bible? The teacher of the law trying to trap Jesus. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Oh, easy. Love the Lord your God with all that you are. And the second one is like unto it. What is it? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Then we also see in Peter how he writes in similar fashion also overhead. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. I don't want you to think this is an American gospel church. This is not a, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, the gospel of, uh, you know, uh, any gospel other than Christ, and any other gospel than the Bible. Don't want you to think that because you do something, God is going to give you ten times or a hundred times more. The Bible doesn't say that. But you are called... We are called to be a people who bless others and love them despite of what they would do to us. And I wonder as you hear that, as we as a church hear that, do we do that in all honesty, with all earnest? Do we do it genuinely? Where we can turn to someone that we would rather not see for a thousand years until we have to share, maybe share heaven with them. And that's the only time we want to see them. Do we show love to people that have not lacked to show us love, compassion, and grace, and mercy? Because, again, if we are called to be imitators of Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, then we must regard others before ourselves. 
Jesus showed us that by going to the cross. He showed us that by coming and being incarnate. That's a fancy word for saying. The very God became very man. Without sacrificing his divinity, Christ emptied himself by taking on humanity. Submitting himself to the Father. He shows us how he regarded us. By giving us the path to eternal life. This practical notion of the gospel is the flashpoint for all of us here today. We are called to follow Jesus as he called to his disciples in the gospel of Matthew in chapter 11. Look overhead. This is what Jesus compels his disciples to do. Come to me all who labor and who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. How difficult is it to exchange the weight that Christ carries for the weight that we carry? And yet if we actually see what he's trying to communicate to us, as Paul is communicating to the, to the church in Rome, what Jesus is doing is replacing that weight which is our human nature, our self-reliance, which if we can be honest, as Americans and even more so as Texans, we tend to be people who are proud to be pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But in the church, there's no such thing. In the church, look around. We need each other. You who have too much gray hair or maybe no hair at all anymore because of your age, need the little boy and the little baby who's here reminding you that God has the power to give you life. And that little baby, that little kid who may be rowdy and going up and down the halls like one of my sons while I was in Mexico, yeah, I know. I know. Pray for us. We need him to remind. We, that he needs us to remind him that we are to grow in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord to do things that are worthy of the righteous one who called us. This is this beautiful calling. And if we are honest with ourselves, we will understand that while difficult and a daily struggle for each one of us, we are called by our Lord to go and show the goodness that now resides in our hearts. The faithfulness that he has bestowed upon us. And that we are no longer masters of our own destiny or of our own actions. But we surrender them to the one who is faithful to call us children of his. This is the beautiful thing about being honorable. Thinking of those that we have around us and being honorable in the way that we do not give evil for evil but we seek to give a blessing instead of a curse and why you, do we do that i'm glad you ask it's because as verse 18 says in its active form we are called to peace we are not called to be warriors in any which, in, in any which way or form except in this if we are to wage war it should be according to ephesians chapter 6 for we do not battle against the powers and principalities of the world. It's not flesh and blood. But we wage a spiritual war against those powers, the principalities of the power of this kingdom, the prince of the power of the air. And we do not fight with the guns that right now are being utilized by governments in the Middle East. We fight with prayer. With fellowship. We fight with scripture reading. We fight with celebration of what God has done in our lives and the lives of those around us. And we fight with the greatest asset that he has given us, which again, if we are honest, it's very difficult to put into practice when we get in the way of what God is doing in our hearts. It's his love. Remember, the Lord, we are told in scripture, 
they will know you're my disciples by your love. By the way that you love God in the, in, as God loves you, the agape, word, the agape love of God, the perfect love of God as it dwells in you, that's how people will know you are my children. And if we can be honest, it's hard. It's hard to love someone in a selfless way. It's hard to love someone when they do evil or wrong to you. If you're a parent, you know how that feels. If you're a spouse, you know how that feels. Because as wonderful as your children or spouse may be, they're fallen creatures, just like you are. And they have done things that break your heart and that sometimes get your anger raging. Amen, somebody. If you can say amen, you ought to say ouch. But just so we, are, we know the type of peace that we have and the comfort that we have going to eternity, look at Romans 8. It's overhead. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, when we know who we truly are, not as we see ourselves, as others may see us, as the culture may try to define us, but as we truly are in Jesus Christ, described by God, that is to walk in perfect peace. Let me tell you something, and I hope that you would make this a mantra of your life, or put it this way, that you would make this your purpose and vision for your days. I don't care for you to imitate your favorite Christian. Y young girls, Sadie Robertson, she's cool and all. You don't have to imitate her. Young men, David Platt, you don't have to imitate him. Old men, you don't have to imitate John MacArthur, Bodie Bauckham. You don't have to imitate none of them. You don't have to even imitate Billy Graham. All of us must imitate Christ. He alone is worthy to be imitated. He alone is the one we follow. Do me a favor. Don't put any one of us who have a title after our name, or even before if you're a doctor, don't put any one of us on a pedestal. Put us on your prayer list because we can fall. We can, we can stumble. We are human, and we can fail you and disappoint you in more ways than one. Don't imitate Pastor Dan. Don't imitate me. Don't imitate Scott or Johnny. Don't imitate any of the deacons that have served you so faithfully. Don't even imitate the new deacons that you just approved and called to serve in this church. Imitate Christ. Because I can guarantee you this. If we do that and we try to do that well day in and day out, I will guarantee you two things. Number one, you will be tired and you will be so focused on trying to follow after him that you will have no time to hate your people that hate you. In other words, to quote a, a wonderful theologian for a song that she has written about 10 years ago, haters are going to hate, 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 and you just got to keep going. If you know, you know. What can anyone or anything do to you when you have the basic and deeply rooted understanding of whom God says that you are under his light? Consider that. Who can shake you from such a strong foundation? According to scripture, no one, nothing. There's a great comfort in being transformed by the Holy Spirit from being an enemy of God's grace 
into an heir of eternal glory with Jesus Christ because that is what awaits each and every one of us who has bent the knee to declare him Lord, Master, Savior of our lives. It is that we will have an eternal relationship with him and as the Westminster Confession opens in the first question of the Great Catechism, we will fulfill our one purpose, to be known by him and to enjoy him forever, for all eternity. So I have a few questions for you as you consider this, that you are called to peace and I am called to peace, that we as a church are not militants, but that we are people of the word and we fight against the spirit in the world by the power of the spirit that lives within us. Have you prayed for the man or woman who has slandered you? Have you prayed for the individual who is offended by your faith? To put it into the context of daily life, are you praying not only for the peace and security of Israel, but are you also praying for the Palestinian brothers and sisters in Christ? How about this? Are you praying for those who are members of Hamas or Hezbollah? Are you praying that God would thwart their plans to harm people? Are you, pray, are you praying that God would open their eyes to their sinfulness and that the gospel would have its way in their lives? Or are those people just damned to hell simply because they don't happen to be Christians already? How are you praying for peace and how are you conducting yourself toward peace? Because if we are renewed by Christ, we don't get to pick and choose whom we love. Which, by the way, we, we do often. That's why cliques exist. That's why little groups of friends exist. We don't just love people genuinely. We, oh no, these, are, these people are like me. It's like the old saying, flocks of a, a birds of a feather flock together. Well, the thing is, with Christ, we all have the same feathers, but we pretend that we have better feathers than others. We are to love others, not because of who they are, but because of whom God says they are. If God has counted them worthy to die for, we have no right to say they're anything less than. We have no right. And I hope that if people are watching online, or as people are, will listen to this here, that you will understand we are not called to be militants, but to be people of love and peace. That is our first and foremost calling card as Christians. Because you have been called to be people of peace, there's a new understanding to the give and take of revenge. Look at verse 19. There's a give and take in revenge. Who's supposed to be taking revenge and who's supposed to be giving it? Just as someone does not put on the clothing that has been soiled for a week to visit uh, family or friends, subjecting them to the stink of the old man, so we are not to seek out to take matters into our own hands, which are done by the old man in our flesh, when it comes to the execution of judgment, revenge, or spite. Paul reminds us, his audience, that God has made it clear, his people, that we are to trust in who God is. Yes. Look at Deuteronomy. It's overhead. First, chapter 32. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. This is God speaking to Moses. God speaking to his people. And remember what they went through. Pharaoh pursuing them. The people from Midian opposing them. The people from the promised land trying to contain them on the, on the opposite bank of the Jordan to keep them from coming. And God reminds the people during the second giving of the law, 
I will avenge. I will take justice to account. You don't concern yourself. We are cautioned by Jesus Christ in Matthew 5 that we must trust in God as we deal with all of our emotions and the indignation that comes from evil in our world. Look at Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is from that beautiful Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus explains how those who are citizens of this kingdom that is already at work, but yet to be fulfilled, need to conduct themselves. Because you are no longer the brand of Carlos for myself. You're no longer the brand of, you know, yourself. But now you are the brand of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you represent him everywhere you go. You and I are no longer our own little kingdoms, but we are ambassadors for the kingdom that is to come. The judgment of those who would seek to harm us in any way begins with the resilience and self-control that allows the Christian to show meekness, compassion, love, and hope in the face of any trial or circumstance. When we see ourselves not giving like for like, but... When we, extending mercy and grace for curse, libel, or defamation, then you and I can see that we are closely walking with Christ, much more closer than at any other point in our lives. Because we are no longer giving into the temptation to, well, someone flipped me off when I was driving in San Antonio. I'm going to do the same to them. I'm going to catch up to them. Oh, so-and-so spoke ill of me. I'm going to speak. I'm going to talk to people bad about them. How about this? So-and-so, I don't like the way so-and-so treated me yesterday, so today I'm just going to make their life very difficult. Anybody ever had thoughts like that? Again, you can say amen, say ouch. Because this, we're keeping it real today. There's a purpose to what Paul is doing in closing chapter 12 in this fashion. If you are renewed, do all these wonderful things because God lives in you. But remember... Don't avenge yourself. Trust in the one who has called you to newness of life. The question we must face right now is, how does it look like to have a renewed relationship with our enemies? How do we show those that have despised us, those that have spat on our face, those that have cursed us and, and thrown us out, much like they did with Paul, left for death, how do we show them love and how do we show them that we are renewed even with them by the power of God's Holy Spirit? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 20. This is the give and done of a renewed life. Verse 20 says, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. These are active verbs. These are not Perfect verbs in the past tense when you read this in the original language. Paul is not saying, oh, it's done. You don't have to do it. This is, this is written in such a way that even us, in the second person written here, we who read the letter are invited into the fray of the story. 
you and I are being made participants in this wonderful epic called the Christian faith. If your enemy is thirsty, give him water. If he's hungry, feed him. And it's not, oh, well, here's some crackers and some cheese. No, put, put, put a feast for him. Don't just give him a little, a little one-ounce cup. No, give him a gallon. Make sure he is satiated in his thirst that he is no longer parched. What Paul is doing here is giving us answers to questions that you and I probably don't want to think about because they expose where we may still have yet room to grow as children of God. Here are some questions that you need to ponder yourself. Would you offer food and water to an illegal immigrant coming to your front door? Would you give food and water to a member of the LGBTQ plus movement who pushes for leg legislation to educate young children on the LGBTQ plus lifestyle in the public schools? Would you give them hospitality that day? Give them water, give them something to eat. That means you're inviting them into a community. Remember that. Would you give food and water, hospitality, to a known doctor who has worked a lifetime for Planned Parenthood conducting abortions? Would you allow that man or woman to come into your home? Would you give him something to eat and drink if he asked for it? Here's another one, again, because of the times in which we live. Would you offer food and water to a militant from Hamas or Hezbollah or ISIS or any other terrorist organization if they came to your home asking for food and water? Not easy. I'm not going to lie to you, it's not easy. The Christian faith compels us to not see the world for the way our gut feels. The Christian faith compels us to lead a life that focuses on eternity and not the right here and right now. Now, don't get, me, don't get it twisted. The here and now is impacted because of what we see in eternity, not the other way around. As we ponder the questions, we must admit that there's a real emotional response within us that lingers inside us when we think of the actions some of our enemies have taken against us and our values. We need to come to grips with that because God designed us with emotions so that we could experience this thing called life. Therefore, we must understand that even those emotions must be surrendered at the foot of the cross. And if we so do that in, our, in all earnest and with all genuineness in our faith, we must also understand that there's a real sense of indignation that the enemy would like to turn into hatred if for no other reason to keep this crazy cycle of hate, murder, and chaos until everyone is consumed by it. Satan would love nothing less and for people who profess to be Christians to be equally militant as those who worship Allah and, and claim jihad. But the faith that you and I live calls us to walk in a different path. For that, I refer you again back to Matthew chapter 5. Read that quote again. We are called to be different people. I like the way that Dr. Dempsey and Dr. Early write in one of their books, Spiritual Formation. A person rooted deeply in God's love is a spiritually formed person. As people overflow with God's love, they are a walking revival. 
They are viral. They are contagious. They are divinely attractive. They are superna a supernatural magnet. They are spiritually influential. They are living the normal Christian life. Ray, Ray Stedman states in his book, Body Life, the supreme mark of the life of, a G, of Jesus Christ within the Christian is, of course, love. Love that accepts others as they are. Love that is tender-hearted and forgiving. Love that seeks to heal misunderstandings, divisions, and broken relationships. Let that one last line be repeated so that you can hear what Paul is calling us to do in the name of Christ. Love that seeks to heal misunderstandings, divisions, and broken relationships. It sounds like we're being renewed. Much like Pastor Dan has led us, so we now are being renewed with our enemies. There are also a relationship component. The only difference is that instead of love, there's deep dislike and hatred towards them for some, something that we perceive they've done against us or that we may have done against them. But here comes the wonderful promise and this call to action, the promise and act of overcoming. This, these are two verbs presented in different ways. We are not to be overcome by evil, but we are to overcome evil with good. We must remind ourselves as we continually dip ourselves into the word of God that we are called to overcome not by intelligence, by wit, desires, think tank groups, polls, opinions, friendships, cliques, or acts of worship and service. None of those things call, call us to overcome. We overcome because Jesus Christ has shown us the way as we read in John 16. This is what John 16, 32 and 33 says. Look overhead. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in the time you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. This is our Savior speaking to his disciples as he is now preparing to do the priestly prayer in the garden, as he's preparing to go be beaten down, punched, beard plucked, kicked, and dragged around Jerusalem with a cross on his back on the way to Golgotha, on the way to the tomb, that he may procure eternal life for everyone in the room, everyone watching, and anyone who will ever hear this message if they are brave enough to put up with my tone. Jesus overcame once for all the sinfulness and the hate of the world, not with an army of bloodthirsty soldiers or a ravenous pack of vengeful people, though some of the disciples were some of these. Remember the traitor Judas? He wanted Jesus to come and take the world by storm with an army. How about not only Iscariot, but also the, the, other, the other one who had the name... Uh, the, not a, he was a publican. He was a zealot. That means that he wanted to over, he wanted to make Israel great again, by the way of power and might of army. But Jesus came and said, "No, my children, I have a better way. 
It's not by the bloodshed of men. It's not by the power of armies. But it is by the power of the empty tomb. It is by the power of the blood that will be spilt on the cross. It is by the power of my body broken for you. Because Jesus is calling us into community, into relationship. This is where we see God renewing us. He did it with the disciples. He does it today with you. Each time someone comes to request baptism, each time someone comes and confesses that Christ is Lord, we see the renewing power of the Holy Spirit. And because the cross is the strength for the weak sinner who trusts in Jesus as the one to give all that is needed to face the day, especially the love to have renewed relationship with our enemies. By the same token, the cross is the sure care against those who desire harm, to deride us, and to murder his people. Each one of us, the case is closed because the one who was slain did not remain in the grave, but rose on the third day, and having ascended to heaven, he will one day return to make all things new and to judge the living and the dead. Your prayer and my prayer, collectively as a church, should not be kill those people who are killing the people in Israel. Kill those people who are coming from Lebanon. Forget those who worship Allah. Our prayer should be, God, move in the lives of those who would see Israel destroyed. Move in the lives of those who would seek to kill people abroad and here at home. That the gospel may move in their lives. And that they would become brothers and not enemies. That they would become your children and not enemies of your grace. That should be our prayer. Because you and I have been renewed loved ones. And yet, you and I are human. And when we have a 24 hours news cycle, as we do today with CNN, MSNBC, and all of the other crazy networks, it's very easy to grow very dark feelings towards Hamas and the Palestinians. It's very easy to grow dark feelings and emotions towards Hezbollah or to ISIS or Iran. But I remind you, as Paul reminded the people in Ephesus, our war is not against flesh and blood. This great battle is not against people from other nations. It's against the enemy of all people, the enemy of all humanity, Satan himself, and against our very own wicked, selfish humanity. We must pray. We must love selflessly. And if this causes you to double-guess a few things about yourself, in all love I tell you, good. Because if in the last two weeks all you think about is having a, someone's head on a platter that says ISIS, Hezbollah, or whatever, Hamas, that's sin. You're committing murder in your own heart. And my heart breaks for you if that's where you have been. But let us trust that the one who comes back at the end of this age will come back as the righteous one, the true and faithful king for his people who will judge. And we must make it our notion not just to pray for people to stop the nonsense of violence, but that those who are killing will be like a Paul who formerly persecuting people, innocent people, will turn to the grace of God and then become great advocates for the church. We must pray in that, in that manner. Because Christ is the judge. And we don't want anyone to perish. We pray that people would come to faith. I wonder if you're thinking, Pastor Carlos, how does that story end? 
about the two pastors. The American pastor, having concluded his study time and prayer time, finished getting ready for the day in his bedroom. And after he had finished putting himself together, he walked downstairs into his study. The, mid, the Middle Eastern, the Eastern European pastor, who was from a former Soviet Republic, asked the pastor as he came through the door, are all these things yours? Pointing to the mementos from military service. The American pastor with great pride replied, yes, I served in Vietnam, and I also taught fighter pilots during my service with the Marine Corps. The guest pastor replied, sternly, looking straight into the American pastor's eyes. I served with the Red Army before the Iron Curtain fell. He continued, I guess that makes us There was silence in the room for what seemed to be a small eternity. Just then, with tears rolling down the stern-faced pastor from former, the former republic in Eastern Europe, he broke with a sweet statement that he had reflected on during his time of study and prayer, that God has made us brothers. God has made us brothers. In quoting from his Bible study that morning, he replied to the American pastor that was aghast. Let us beat our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning Thank you for tuning in to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church Divine, located at 308 West Hondo Avenue in Divine, Texas. We invite you to be our guests at our 8.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. services each Sunday. You can find more information about First Baptist Church Divine at www.fbcdivine.org where our mission is to equip all generations to impact lives for Christ. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you.